I'm Megan Lawrence, and welcome to the Wild Leaders Podcast. Wild stands for Whole and Intentional Leader Development, and in this episode, you'll be listening to one of our Wild Conversations. Wild Conversations are interactive virtual experiences every Friday for one hour with leaders from around the country. It's no cost to join or attend, and you can sign up by visiting wildleaders.org backslash wildconversation. You can also listen on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Please follow us and subscribe. Wild Conversations are led by our founder and CEO, Dr. Rob McKenna. Named one of the top 30 IO psychologists alive today, Dr. McKenna is passionate about developing leaders and transforming the way we see people in our organizations. As he will tell you, we have the tools at our fingertips to invest in our people in ways that are meaningful to them and will get the results we need. 30 years of research has taught us how much people learn and grow on the job. We have what it takes to create rich learning environments for the people we lead, and all we have to do is begin to act on what we know. Thanks for joining this wild conversation. Um, I was with uh, Megan Lawrence, who's on our wild team yesterday. She's one of our leaders, and uh, some of you know Megan. And we hadn't seen each other for a while, so we're at a distance, and she's uh, dropping off some stuff. And by the way, one thing she dropped off is, if any of you are interested, that question you were asked for that breakout is a wild question. That's what we call it. But if you noticed, it's also a question that opens up, uh, opens up a mindset, and it's interesting. So if you're interested, you're like, that's a great, great question to start with. We created an entire deck of wild questions, and Megan was here to drop these things off. And they're amazing. They're all, they all are very much growth mindset focused, but also lean into learning agility and kind of uh, in, and opening up our readiness. So just really cool. Um, that's that. So she comes over and she said something that was really funny to me. And I think, Claire, you're the one that told her this. Is like when you see someone face to face for the first time after a while, because I haven't seen Megan. Megan and I are working. We're together every day on different, different things that we do as a team. I hadn't seen her in 3D in so long. It was so weird. And then she said, I think it was you, Claire, that said you were faced, you know, you like at something where a couple people were there and you said, it's weird because it's weird not seeing yourself. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I was realizing like, I'm talking to Megan, but I'm like, I don't know if I've got a big smudge of chocolate across my face or not. So anyway, yes, that's where we're starting right there. So if any of you were looking for the mild leadership conversation on Friday, you're in the wrong space. Uh, we are not going to just skim the surface of this. We dig deep into things. And so this is whole. We're going to go get a little bit deeper. And I'm going to assume that you want to go there. Um, and not just like Daniel said, just not look at the uh, meme or the post, but to say, what is this all about? Um, and so let me give you my thesis out of the gate. Uh, it's, it's not as simple as I would have demanded from my doctoral students over the years, but it is, uh, it is what it is. So a couple of things, because it's four parts. One is this, a growth mindset is a fundamental paradigm shift in not only our practices and what we say, but at a deeper level about how we make meaning of the people in our world. Okay, it's not just a, it, not just like these little these these simple shifts in what we say, um, what we say we're about. This is about deeper meaning making. The research supports that that's what this is about. Number two, this is an inherently a personal reformation and a relational reformation because we impact each other. So the research would say that also that we actually affect each other's mindsets how we make meaning of other human beings and ourselves. Uh, number three, 
what we believe is shaping what we design. So there's a lot of people who are on this right now who are responsible for designing leader development systems. And what we believe fundamentally is shaping what we design, whether we like it or not. That's another, and the number four, um, changing meaning. So changing that fundamental paradigm is about two things. It's about increasing our understanding of it. So what we're doing today, but also changing our practice. So we have to actually practice this. And that's where we really get the great stuff from this. So let me, I, I think one of the things and this, I, my risk here is that some of you are thinking, most of you probably have some familiarity with growth mindset. And I would say also psychologically speaking that this is related to a lot of, a lot of other concepts. There are a lot of other things that have been studied. Um, Veronica who's on here, everybody give a shout out to Veronica is the edit, one of the editors on a book that's coming out called the age of agility. That's all about learning agility, which we've contributed uh, chapter and case study to. And uh, it's an amazing book. So it's taking all these people who are doing work in this space and created a book around learning agility. Well, learning agility is related to this. It is related to this. So there are lots of interesting psychological concepts related to mindset. But let me tell you, let me say this. I, I thought a lot about why are people drawn to a growth mindset way of thinking? Why are people drawn to it? Um, and I think this is one of the reasons. Because over the years, what's, what's dangerous about Carol Dweck's work is that when I would show this, I would have them read in 1986. I've got the article right here. She published this article called Motivational Processes Affecting Learning. When my students would read this, it made every other motivational theory not so interesting. It doesn't mean that those theories aren't just as important, but there's something really compelling about this research. This is 1986, people. You know what happened in 1986? I graduated from high school. So, so this is not new. This is not new. Yeah, now you're doing the math. Stop it. Okay, so here's the deal. I think the reason why we're drawn to it, though, fundamentally as human beings is this. I believe it's because it gives us hope that things could be different. Here's the second part. And that we have agency in, that, in bringing about that different world. And I think it starts because it gives us hope about ourselves. Because we were given messages that were different than this, that we're maybe giving to other people, by the way. And that's what we're going to get into in just a moment. But I think it gives us hope. It gives us a hope that some of the messages we've heard and been reinforced in our heads over the years are, could be different than that. So let's get into the research. Are you ready to go? Here's the non-mild part. Here we go. All right. Some of the things we know. And I'm also going to get into what is the half-truth here. What this, was, what this is in most people's minds is about is what's called learning and performance-oriented goals. All right? That's the, that's the face value of this. And, and Carol Dweck originally described learning goals as adaptive types of goals and performance goals as maladaptive. But let me be clear about what these things are. Learning goals are goals that individuals seek to increase their competence or to master something new. Okay, it's a goal focused on increasing competence or mastering something new. The other thing she describes as performance goals. Here's how she defines performance goals. And this is important. We're not going to get into the details of this because that's going to be for another wild conversation later. We'll do this some other time. But here's what performance goals, because on the face of it, you might go, okay, learning goals and performance goals. This is the way she defines performance. Goals individuals seek. Listen to this to gain favorable judgments of their competence or avoid negative judgments of their competence. 
So it's not like performance goals that we think of like it's performance goals, like score three goals in the game, you know, versus how do I get better at soccer? Like that would be oversimplifying. What it really was about was performance goals was seeking seek, goals I set to seek uh, to gain favorable judgment. So it's how people think about me. That's the focus. Now, again, I'm going to save a lot of that, but that's just the, that's the fundamental difference. Now, here's what I want to go next. Um, what it doesn't say is that performance goals are, are bad and learning goals are good. I want to be careful about that. But she was really interested in how to sustain people's effort and, and specifically starting with children. So one of the examples that's so often given is her trying to understand girls' efforts or motivation to study in the sciences and math. That was where this began. And then it extended into all kinds of other people and areas. So I, but this is where this started. But let me, let me frame up what, where this is where I've had over the years with my grad students, for some of them to have to say like, okay, this was not the root of Carol Dweck's work. Learning and performance goals. That's what most people I think in pop culture focus on. It's like, let me think of, let me be growth focused. Let me be like, people could change. People could learn. People could increase competence. And it was interesting, what she was really looking at was uh, the idea of a quality versus a trait. A quality versus a trait. And psychologically speaking, a trait is something we are born with that's relatively stable over our lifetime. And here's what she was finding. Learning versus performance goals is kind of the activity of it. But what it was based on, it's the mindset part, how we think was based on this, was whether or not you saw yourself or other people, and, she's, and, and both have been studied over the years, over the decades, whether you saw yourself or other people as fixed or malleable. The power of this is whether you see yourself and other people as fixed or malleable. And what I'll tell you, what she found was that in the face of situations that made people question their competence, so for example, failure, that when people had a malleable worldview related to themselves or others, yeah, and I know this is a lot to pack into your brain as I'm trying to talk through this, that they actually were able to sustain, there was longer, sticky learning that occurred. That's my words. Like, they were, like there was, a, there was a, a more sustainable change in the face of failure or su success. Are you with me? So that's what was key was in the face of failure or success, people were able to actually learn better if they had the, the, the idea that people could change. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to violate something that she's, that's been studied by others. There actually has been findings that have suggested that if you tell people about both sides of this equation, performance and learning that actually you don't get as stronger a shift in learning toward learning orientation. In other words, if some of you are new to this and we as a group were to educate you on performance and learning goals, that actually it's not as effective as just talking about the learning side. So this is the risk I'm taking. I think it's both psychologically speaking. How many of us would deny the reality that it matters what other people think of us? Like if we're going to also increasingly be self-aware, self-awareness requires us to know and care about what other people think of us. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to violate it and say like, maybe I'm risking you not becoming more learning oriented or more growth mindset oriented, but that's the reality of the whole person. The half truth, if you will, 
is that this really isn't about just saying like, take on a growth mindset, set learning goals, but that how we think about our world is the key. <laughs> Whether we believe truly at the deepest level, she calls it meaning. This is more than just like do stuff and it gets better. This is like, what do you believe the deepest level of meaning about, about human beings? Are they fixed or can they change? Psychologically speaking, the best research out there, this is the, this is the reality, is it's both. But I cannot tell you how many times I had a senior executive come to me and say, Rob, and we were doing work with their organization around leader development and so on. And he said, Rob, do you believe that leaders are born or made? He's asking me about my mindset. And I was with one of my doctoral students at the time who was really good at explaining the research. So he explained it, that it's about 50-50. That's maybe an overstated, but it's close, okay? He explains all the research. And then the leader goes, well, that's great, but I believe they're made. Didn't even care about what the research said. It's like, I believe they're made. But here's what's interesting. If you listen to his language for the next hour in our meeting, it was all fixed talk. So saying you believe that people are made is different than actually believing it. And so it's something that we have to practice. So, so let me, let's go one step further. Um, so one of the other pieces, this is my point number two. So the first thing is that like, is just, is that that's kind of the, this, this deeper issue. And the half truth is we talk about learning and goals, but this is really about how we see our world. Um, point number two is this, I was talking about, this is, this is a personal and a relational thing. It is so, we affect each other and we affect each other quickly. So let me give you a couple of examples from the research. This is interesting. And culturally, I think we get this wrong often. It's dangerous to speak of culture because culture is massive and there's a lot of different ones who are functioning within. But listen to this. According to the research, telling people they can do anything is counterproductive. Just let that sink in for just a second. <laughs> telling people they can do anything is counterproductive. You know why? Because they can't. <laughs> You know what I mean? They're going to fail. And what it actually reinforces is a fixed mindset. It's interesting. Labeling people, not helpful. We have to be super careful. Think of the labels culturally that are being thrown around. And I'm not saying there isn't truth in the labels. Okay. Like this is whole leader development. So I, the whole story is, yeah, there's probably some truth in it. What are the labels we're using today that we love that are popular? A lot of personality assessments. I'm per, I try. I'm working at being careful. I, don't, I will be careful not to look at uh, Claire and say, Claire's an introvert. I might be interested in Claire. How does, you, know, you seem to be a little more introverted than extroverted. How does that play itself out? Um, numbers, labels. We have other labels. Calling yourself a failure or reinforcing things that tell other people that they're failures as opposed to failing being a moment and not an identity. I'm going, to put a, I'm going to push a button for a second. There's a common word that we use that we ask ourselves. I see it all the time. I see it with my, you know, I, we have to be careful. The word racist. What does the word racist reinforce? Isn't our hope that we would reduce racism? And if we label people as racist, this research might suggest that we reinforce the possibility they are as opposed to, to, to labeling racist behaviors. There's all kinds of things that I, just think about the labels that we put on people 
culturally speaking and just being thoughtful and mindful. And I'm, I'm, as I say this, y'all don't hear me condemning you. Cause I'm like, a, there's a lot of fingers pointing back at me if I'm pointing at you. So I think the labels is something to be mindful about. Here's the other issue is that we, we affect people quickly. You know what else the research would say? This is fast. I read this for the first time. I've got three articles in front of me, by the way, her 86 article, a chapter from her book. And then there was a 2019 article called Mindsets, a view from two eras. And so it's a more recent research comparing her research. Fascinating stuff. Do you know that they found that online growth mindset programs actually work almost just as well as face-to-face? And I was thinking about like what's happening in this season of our life. How many of us are working virtually? The, the benefit, the cool thing is like you can change people's mindset in virtual settings. Now I'm going to give you some tricks about how that actually happens, but here's what also is interesting. You can do it quickly. It doesn't take a really, really sophisticated conversation. If you can change an employee's mindset by the, how, by how you talk to them, by how you talk to them. So, so it's just a, it is a relational thing because it's not just our changing our worldview, but that we who are in leadership roles with people or in mentoring relationships with people or in peer relationships with people or in parenting relationships with people affect other people. So let me give you, I want to give you, let me tell you how this works out in process, like in in the systems we describe. And then I want to bring this home and launch out the conversation. Okay. I'm going to go deep for just a sec, like into some space. I'm going to talk about talent management. And it doesn't matter whether you're raising your kids, raising our kids. Let me be inclusive in this. We, whether we are raising our children or not, or, um, but, or whether we're designing systems of developing leader talent, okay, and people's potential. Um, here's what's interesting. I got to say one other thing from the research. If you tell a person you're really working hard and they fail, I didn't realize that till I just was rereading Dweck's research. It kind of blew me away. Cause with my kids in soccer games, I practiced this where if I get, when they got back in the car, my wife was like coaching me when she read the, a book about this. And when my kids would, I used to, if you say to your children, boy, you're a really good soccer player. I don't know why I'm going with soccer right now. It's what I coach most. That's that would be tend to reinforce a, a fixed mindset. You're either good or you're not. So then what I would practice was, man, you really work hard, worked hard out there. What didn't occur to me when I got deeper into the research this last week, once again, because I've read this stuff over and over again, but it didn't occur to me was one thing that they found is if someone fails and you tell them you really worked hard out there, <laughs> that doesn't work very well. Because then they go, I worked really hard and I didn't, I didn't, I failed. Now, if I asked them, what could you have done differently? We get into that conversation that gets somewhere different. So let me give you a, a brief example in the systems. Those of you who are interested in talent management, let me give you a, an interesting example. This is a mind shift, by the way. So do not let this hit the surface. Like, think about this and wrestle with it, fight with it. This is a typical approach to your talent, to talent management. And it's the idea that 15%, 10 to 15%, you go to, you go to like a conference in IO psychology. There's a lot of people in talent management there. And there's a lot of people on this right now who are responsible for this kind of thinking. The idea would be, and this is the way we talk to people, is that 10 to 15% of your people are your high potentials. So you may say, we, we may say that we value a growth mindset, but this, this language over the years, I would suggest to you has reinforced a fixed mindset because what people think is if 15% of the t- people are talent, this is what I would think when I'm sitting in those rooms, I'd be like, I'm probably in the 85%. So I'm the non-talent. 
And do you hear the language, the fixed language? Okay, so this is, this is, this is a traditional approach. Find your high talent people and develop them. The danger is the deeper meaning making is that other people are not talented, okay? Now, there's the reality that some people are not doing performing as well. So that's, I'm not, I heard someone else who's a leading mind in our field in this space of coaching that some of you would know who this is, say this, and I disagree with this. I'm gonna tell you right now, but this is what he said. He said, instead of the top 15%, focus your attention on the top 35%. So figure out who those high potentials are, still fixed language, and focus on the bottom 15%. Because those are the people who have room to grow. It's compelling, all right? So now like the top people, the top, what is the math, y'all? 20%, they're already good. So don't focus your attention there. Focus on the, the bottom of the top. The reality is this is still a growth, this is still a fixed mindset about the people in your organization. It's a fixed mindset about your children. <laughs> I'm sorry, our children and culpable. Okay, so then, then think about this. This is where, like wrestle with this for a second. What if instead of using language like our talent or not, or our high potentials or not, or our leaders or not, we started to really, and let this embed, to think and change our language, which Dr. Halleck and I are guilty of this, when we started to think about what we describe as readiness, that we don't dismiss the possibility that some people aren't going to get there, but that instead what we were looking for is the top 35% of people who are ready, who are ready to learn, who are ready to grow, who are ready to adapt, who are ready to have the hard conversations, who are, you know what I mean? Like editing is hard. That, that what high potentials are really is high readies, people who are in the space. Because I can tell you if there's one thing, I used to be guilty of this. You know how you've been burned so many times by hiring the wrong person? But over the long haul, I have seen people change and surprise me. And so what if, it, what if it was a conversation around readiness, around who is in that space and ready to go, assuming that the rest of the folks may come to a point where they are. It's just a different way of thinking about that. And the reason why I'm sort of giving you, and, and whatever the process is that's it's, it's good for you, like in, that you're dealing with, it's so, it's so powerful. But the reason why this is so important to me in this moment, even this week, is that I am so over people complaining about a lack of choices in leaders. I'm not, I mean, I know it's important, but what I'm thinking about is, what are we doing to change the paradigm and how we invest and prepare this next generation and support the ones who are currently there to open up the possibility that they could grow, that they could learn, that they could either gain more conviction or they could gain more compassion or they could become better versions of themselves. And this is the core of our work at Wild Leaders and the core of why some of you have been drawn to, you know, being a part of this community. Next is our spotlight from our live and interactive wild conversation. This is an interview with one of the leaders who was on the call for this topic, and we think you'll really enjoy their insights. Thanks for listening. Hey, good to see you. So first, Lauren, great. We'll do a quick intro, then I'm, I'm going to ask you one question, maybe two. Um, first, thanks for jumping on and doing this spotlight. I find that I can't help but hear someone else's story yeah. and process real time myself as we go through. So uh, could you just take just a quick second, tell people who you are, what you do, what the talent ladder is, your organization, and then I'm going to ask you a question uh, based on some of the stuff you had in your breakout discussion. Sure, happy to do that. So I uh, am a, originally born and raised in Western Canada, so came down to the U.S. as a college student, stayed, became a high school math 
teacher and got back into high in uh, in higher ed as a coach and an administrator. Uh, done a lot of things over about 30 years of, of that, uh, but just started an, uh, a new innovation at Indiana Wesleyan University here in the Midwest. And we run what we call the talent ladder, which is an effort to connect the training world and all that happens in skills certificates and those kinds of things to education and degree completion programs. So what we're trying to do is get people to be able to double up what they learn in skill and training acquisition scenarios to degree completion programs so that those two worlds aren't separated. That's so that's super cool. Check out Talent Ladder. They're doing some innovative stuff. What I'm really interested in though, uh, Lauren, is tell me for you personally, either something you heard in the content or the conversation you just had, I saw your name popped up in the chat a couple times. Um, what was worth paying attention to for you in this conversation today? Yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun to really listen to Rob go through all that. And I think the more we help people distinguish what is objective about me and, and the difference between those types of goals and what is unique to me as an identifier. I actually uh, wrote down that note. Uh, let's see. The, um, where, did I, where did I put it here? Hold on. Um, if we are, we're dealing differently with the qualities that we have rather than the traits that we're born with. And I think all of us keep asking the question, how much of this can I change, right? hereditarily, I got thin hair, that's what it is. I'm not gonna change that unless I go to some crazy expense, which I'm not willing to do, right? That is what it is. However, there are other traits about me that my wife reminds me, hey, that can change. You can do that different, right? <laughs> so I think that's the journey that we're all on is trying to sort those things out, remove from our identity what is removable and accept what's kind of um, part of us and partly makes up who we are and at the same token, learn to care about people that are different than us. And, and that was one of the things I noted. Lots of times as I've coached over the years, worked with a lot of different kinds of athletes, if at the core of our interaction, they know I care, they don't get caught up in that words, those words like success and failure. They know we're trying to accomplish the same things and they know I'm really in it for their benefit. If that happens, I feel like most of the time you can work through the things that you're trying to work through. Awesome. I, I love it, Lauren. Thanks for sharing your reflections and just that nuance of what do we accept versus what do we change and, yeah. and then taking that from the internal out to others and how we treat and view other people. And certainly as we're all on, on that journey and figuring it out, the ways and the things that we believe impact the ways that we uh, influence and show up with others. So right. thank you for, for sharing that. Thanks for joining this wild conversation. If you'd like to learn more about wild leaders, visit us at wildleaders.org. If you want to purchase the wild toolkit, visit wildtoolkit.com. If you'd like to join the interactive live recording with other leaders, sign up at wildleaders.org backslash wild conversation. I'm Megan Lawrence. Have a great day.